This is The Art of the Hookup, your straightforward guide to a successful sex life. I'm Georgie Wolfe, an Aussie escort and a total hookup enthusiast. Welcome to episode one. This episode is all about how to do better at online dating. When it comes to getting it on online, where are we going wrong? Ali from Bad Dates of Melbourne is here to help us all lift our game. Before we get started, just a reminder that this podcast is adults only. And with that said, let's get into it. Hi, this is Georgie here. I'm a Melbourne writer, online dating champion, and independent escort from Melbourne, Australia. My mission is to talk honestly about all the stuff you need to know to have a great hookup, and by that I mean finding the people that are right for you, negotiating amazing sex, and walking away feeling good about yourself. In this very first podcast episode, I'm sitting down with Ali from the wildly popular Facebook group Bad Dates of Melbourne to find out how we could be doing online dating better. I'm hoping that not only will I get a few pointers to lift my Tinder game, that you might too. Hi, Ali. How are you doing? I love that. Wildly popular. I'm feeling very special hearing that. I love it. Wildly popular. Wildly. Ooh, wildly. Wildly popular. (laughs) I've been name dropping you like a bitch everywhere. Yes. Great. Go for it. I love it. So um, maybe not everyone has heard of you. Can you tell me a bit about yourself and what Bad Dates of Melbourne is all about? So I am a Melbourne local and what I do is collect bad date stories from around Melbourne, real life bad dating stories and I post the best of the best on my Facebook page Bad Dates of Melbourne and further around Australia I post Bad Dates of Australia as well so I'm collecting bad date stories from all over Australia and I'll tell you what they are cringeworthy they are shocking they are hilarious and believe it or not there is a lot of poo involved as well. So it's quite funny stuff. I cringe every day checking out the <laughs> Facebook feed. And um, how long has Bad Dates of Melbourne been around for? I think it's been around for about 16 months or so. So it started off slow and, you know, collecting the stories. It was difficult and I was digging around and hustling for the stories sharing my own now and you know i reckon now i get about 20 a day so it's become really popular you know it's um it's such a joy to work on bad dates of melbourne and every day i am shocked and amazed as to what happens in our town and now you have bad dates of australia which means that you can help not only melburnians work out what they're doing wrong with their bad dates but also all of Australia generally. So I feel like you've got a really good handle on, you know, our general population perhaps. Do you feel like you're becoming a bit of a dating disaster expert? Oh, absolutely. And I think the reason I am a dating disaster expert is because I have lived these dating disasters myself. I call myself a dating expert, but I'm not a dating expert on the sidelines. I am deep down in Tinder. I've had bad dates. I am living the trauma, Front believe it or line not. Troops. Front line yes, the that is right. The final frontier. Absolutely. I I'm just, on Tinder, I'm on Bumble, I'm on OkCupid, you name it, I've given it a go. Dude, we're we're like kindred spirits. I'm on all <laughs> shit, that shit. I've done Hinge, I've done... Love Hinge, you know, love Hinge. I've done The Circle, The Inner Circle. Yes, that one where you need to be special or something never quite worked out what that was (laughs) i saw all the same people on there and i said i did on tinder but that's okay so can i ask you like is there um is there a particular type of person or a particular gender that contacts you more is there a pattern to the people that want to tell you about their bad dates yeah absolutely i'd probably say 
70% of the submissions come from heterosexual women. Um, I also get um, gay men, lesbians, and some straight men as well, but, you know, mostly straight women. And I've had people ask me before, does that mean that women are the ones that the bad dates are happening to? And to be honest, I can't tell you that because maybe they're contacting me more because I'm a woman. Maybe women are just more communicative about their bad dates. Maybe they're more interested in talking about them rather than just shoving them under the rug. That is absolutely right. So, you know, I do think that bad dates happen to absolutely everybody. It's an epidemic. I would totally agree. And from talking to all my different friends of all genders, it's really opened my eyes to the fact that uh, we're all fucking up. It's not just guys that are fucking up or just straight people that are fucking up. Um, it's actually literally everyone. And what I'm interested to know is whether there is uh, there are things that all of us are consistently fucking up that maybe we could be doing a little bit better. Do you feel like any particular issues have popped up a lot for you over the time you've been running this? There is one very consistent issue, and I'd love to tell you it's something saucy, something juicy, something interesting, but it's incredibly boring. Yes. It is showing up on time. No. A lot of people just will literally rock up 20 minutes late, no apologies, and expect it to be okay. And, you know, it really is showing disrespect for somebody else's time. And it's just just not a great way to get started on the right foot. So, you know, be on time to your dates. You know, be early, um, put an extra 15 minutes in this schedule and get there in time and show that respect to that person. The thing is, right, there's that whole saying that um, when you meet someone, they generally take about 30 seconds to decide whether they like you or not. And if that 30 seconds happens while they're sitting in a bar waiting for you because you're late, then by the time you've already arrived, they've decided they hate you and you're done. And I get this with clients. So as part of my sex work, um, the impression a client makes when they first meet you is everything. Um, and if a client's 20 minutes late, by the time they turn up, I'm pissed off and the rest of that session is going to go badly. And I can't help imagining that the same would go for regular dates. If you're angry at the person by the time they arrive, you're not starting off on the best foot. I love that you mentioned that, Georgie, because I actually mentioned to a date once that it only takes 30 seconds for me to tell whether I was interested in someone. Now, that was a huge mistake because I met him, we sat down at dinner, we got talking, and about 45 seconds into the date, he looked at me and he said, so Ali, it's been 30 seconds. <laughs> what are you thinking about me? Do you like me? Are we going to go on a second date? What do you think? And I sat there and I thought, this is the most uncomfortable moment <laughs> of my life. So my hunch is that you immediately said, no, I don't like you because anyone that asks that, that fast maybe is not someone that's going to be a good dinner companion. Look, he was a lovely person with very poor social skills. So um, I told him, look, you know, you're a lovely guy. I'm not really feeling it. So if if you'd like to, let's continue the dinner and have a nice night together, but I don't see this going anywhere. And he thought about it for a moment and he said, yeah, you know what? We're already here. We're going to have fun together. Let's see how it goes. And we had a, we had a pleasant, pleasant night together. And look, did I see him ever again? No, but he's a nice person and I wish the best for him. And that's the thing, right? I think if you're going to ask something like that really straight up and really early on, you need to be prepared to hear, no, I'm not really interested in you. And then you need to be prepared to sort of deal with that and maybe just continue on and have a nice dinner anyway. Um, if you think you're going to be completely shattered when someone says, no, I've decided you're not my type, maybe hold off until asking a little bit 
further down the track when you're feeling like you know someone a little bit better right absolutely like honesty is great i'm all about the honesty but sometimes you know keep the question to yourself just for a little bit longer try and, and feel it out, it out. Yeah, suss it suss out. It out. right 50 percent asking and then also sitting there and feeling into the situation absolutely yeah and sometimes i don't even need to ask sometimes i meet someone and then i see their face fall a little bit and my face falls a little bit and then i know then we know it's not going anywhere, right? <laughs> oh, I know that feeling. I'm very familiar with that feeling. <laughs> I actually had a guy, I went on a date and within the first 10 minutes of us sitting down to have a drink, he told me that he suspected he might be asexual. And that is the thing, right? People do identify as asexual, which is like when they, um, they're not really interested in sex, although they might be interested in intimacy or touch, that sort of thing, just not actually in getting it on. Um, I thought it was odd that he hadn't mentioned that he was asexual before we met. Um, and then uh, about two weeks later, he, he sent me a message saying he just met this awesome girlfriend and was getting into kinky stuff and could I give him some pointers? And at that point that I, I realized that perhaps he wasn't asexual, perhaps he'd just been really struggling to find a way to say, I'm not into you. Yeah. And that was the first thing that came to mind. Uh, but honestly, I think I'd prefer I'm just not that into you than, um, than something so creative that's really easy to disprove when you then ask for sex advice from the person you wanted a date with or fortnight. <laughs> you know what? Generally, I'd say asexual people not looking for sex advice. So it is a bit of a red flag. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting. Yeah, having said that, there's nothing wrong with being asexual and going on a date, right? Or even Absolutely. telling your partner while they're on, on a date. I just, I, I just had a hunch that wasn't what, what he meant to say. What he meant to say was, look, you're really not my type really not <laughs> so you've answered my question about what's the one thing you see people doing wrong and i was actually hanging out for something horrifying so you've actually given me us something that's super solvable fucking turn up on time well you know there are several crazy things that seem to be um happening and you know you will laugh at me it is gross but there is a lot of wetting the bed and there is a lot of pooing in the bed i am not making this up what the I, fuck? I get stories uh probably a couple of times a week of someone messaging me saying you wouldn't believe this. The most incredible thing happened. The, the date I was with has wet the bed. And I go, yep, 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 yep. Heard it before. Heard and, it before. And this is usually like a <laughs> drunk-related thing? Uh, not necessarily, but a lot of the time, yes. A lot of the time, yes. And, it, you know, it's 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 amazing. Like, there is all of this stuff. Yes, wetting the bed. Yes, all of that, that gross stuff. But there is a lot happening in the dating world that we don't talk about openly. Right. And um, I find that quite frustrating because there are things that we need to be educated on that we just aren't talking about. And probably my biggest one would be something like, you know, chlamydia, for example. I, yeah. I talk to people about chlamydia. We all need to talk about chlamydia. Absolutely. I talk about it regularly. And the reality is people take risks with safe sex and take shortcuts because they aren't aware of how common it is because we don't talk about it. But you're aware of how common it is because people people write in and tell you they got chlamydia from their bad date. Absolutely. Right? So I hear a lot of bad date stories and the final sentence would be, and soon after I found out I had chlamydia. Now, a lot of people take shortcuts, but they're just, they just don't understand how frequently it happens and how common it is. And I feel if we talk about it, we know how common it is and we make safe sex choices. Then we're aware. And the thing is, stuff like chlamydia, the person that gave it to you might not even know they have it because often it's invisible mm. and you don't have any symptoms. So it's not even like I went on a bad date with this person and they were a terrible person and then they also gave me chlamydia because they're awful. Often you get chlamydia from someone that's otherwise a super nice person, but that 
um, hasn't been checking out their safer sex or going and getting checkups, but then maybe you should also be having better safer sex and going and getting checkups also. Um, like everyone is responsible for making sure the safer sex happens, right? It's not just about the chick or the guy or, mm. you know, whatever. And that's the thing. Like I think that people assume that you get STDs from one night stands, but it's, you know, it's happening in relationships. It's happening in all sorts of scenarios. So you need to um, be really aware of it. You know what I really enjoyed reading on your Facebook page the other day? You had this really amazing post about the poke around, which is when <laughs> when you're getting down with someone and then they're sort of poking around down there with their junk and you're going, oh, is he going to try and stick it in with a condom? And he's thinking, oh, am I going to get to stick it in with a condom? And you're both waiting to see if someone mm. says something. It's a test. It's, it's a, a test. test. And we're feeling a bit awkward, but people aren't quite sure how to say. And this is how sort of dodgy, slightly unsafe or very unsafe sex happens because nobody can speak up, then it seems like it's too late. And so you just go with it, right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, in these scenarios, people don't go in saying, I'm going to have sex without a condom tonight. It's in like the poke around scenario where, you know, things have heated up. Maybe you've had a few drinks. And then when you're you horny, know. things seem like yeah, we can and bend you just the rules go, oh, a little. You know, we'll bend the rules. We'll go with it this once. He hasn't said anything, so I'm just going to go with it. You know, that is when these things happen. And unfortunately, STDs don't discriminate. You know, it um, can happen to anyone. Yeah, you can't make any judgments based on uh, where someone's coming from or what their sexual history mm. is, all that stuff. And I, I did it heaps when I was younger. Um, when I used to pick up a lot, um, I found that, yeah, the poke around was a thing. And also things like guys saying, um, oh, no, I can't get I can't get hard if I don't have a condom on. Mm. If, if I have a condom on, sorry, I can't get it up. Yep. And then I go, okay, so I have to choose between not getting laid at all or putting up with unsafe sex. And then often I'd end up going for the unsafe option. But the thing I found was the next day I just felt like shit. Yep, and absolutely. It, it meant that I remembered the whole thing uh, like as a really bad incident. And obviously none of those guys would ever get a second date because I felt so bad about doing something that I wasn't comfortable with. So I guess um, I guess I learned. And then be becoming an escort, we are so strict about safer sex. You know, someone will go anywhere near that area and I'll be like, so are you gonna put something on that? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like super forthright but I understand for most people it's really hard so that sounds like that's a big proportion of your stories both um, like STI related incidents and also unplanned pregnancies aka tinder surprise oh yes there are definitely unplanned pregnancies going on uh, and look it <sighs> Sometimes people are unhappy about them. Sometimes people are happy about them. You know, it depends on the person. Of course. And, you know, a baby can be a joy, but, you know, it's nice to want the baby. It's nice <laughs> to plan it. As in, like, you know, to plan it. To plan it <laughs> is what I mean. Um, so, yeah, that it does, ha it does happen a lot. It does happen a lot. This escalated quite quickly, actually. I hadn't Ooh, anticipated did. talking about sexual health. Um, I thought it was all going to be like, you know, don't stab your, your steak with your fork over dinner. Is there anything a bit more like, um, like sort of trivial stuff that just pisses everyone off? Um, there are, there are funny little things that pop up here and there. So there was one recently that popped up. Um, people seem to be having a huge debate about whether you should agree to dinner on a first date. Have you heard about this? So a lot of people are saying you should never, ever, ever agree to dinner on a first date. That's my MO. Yeah, because you can't escape it. Whereas if you just have a drink... It's not too bad. Now, I, it doesn't sound like too much of an issue, right? But the reality is a lot of people are asking their Tinder, da Tinder dates out to dinner and 
one quarter of the people do not actually want to do dinner on a first date. Yeah. So you're potentially alienating the person you're speaking to do by asking them for dinner. This is tricky, right? Because when we ask someone out, we want to sound decisive. So it's like, hey, how about that um, awesome place, uh, you know, you said you're really into fried chicken. Of course. I love fried chicken. <laughs> you said you're really into fried chicken. So let's go to that cool fried chicken place just around the corner from me. But um, And we think we're really great for s- supplying the solution and asking and being really specific. But actually, sometimes it's nice to actually ask like, hey, um, I'd love to meet up. But what did you have in mind? Like, what works for you for a first date? And my favorite question is actually like, what does your perfect hookup date look like? So if I'm going out specifically with the intent that we're going to get it on I'll go hey so what's your dream hookup date like where do we meet how does it go for you what does it look like and that's not just like where do we meet but also like you know how long is it and what do we talk about during the date to work out if we want to get it on and then if it progresses well then what do you like to get up to and then we sort of have a bit of a talk about that stuff and isn't it so great when people ask you questions i like it's so basic i love being asked questions someone gives a shit about my opinion oh my god absolutely i love it i mean it's such a basic uh dating behavior but so many people get it wrong and look we all love talking about ourselves obviously i mean we all do but it's nice to be asked questions it's really nice sometimes i feel like we're expected to have all the answers too like we're supposed to just automatically know what the right thing is to do and like when it's the right time to ask someone out where we're supposed to invite them to and we're supposed to just guess how to act based on our magical intuition or something but that never works because everyone likes different stuff and when you try to guess you fuck it up half the time even if half the time you get it right and someone goes wow how did you know that I loved um, you know fried chicken you must be psychic we're we're soulmates the other 50% of the time people go what the fuck were you thinking why didn't you just ask (laughs) me and I could have told you yeah we don't seem to do that we like to be magical and magically have all the answers well you know we we tend to think that romance is this super magical thing you know it's ethereal thing but you know it really is about finding someone who you connect with and can talk to and you know you have the same values with so I do love the idea of you know um, you know candy coated romance but you know at the end of the day I think it's values and communication is what really makes a relationship. So um, I'm sort of interested like after listening to everyone's stories about the stuff that's gone wrong has it changed the way that you approach your dates? Um, Probably the biggest thing that has changed with my dating lifestyle since starting Bad Dates of Melbourne is I don't go on nearly as many and that is simply because Bad Dates of Melbourne is a enormous uh, time sink yeah. um, and an enormous task to undertake. Um, reading 20 stories a day, uh, responding to people and on top of that uh, working as a dating uh, journalist as well. It's very time consuming so I don't go on as many dates as I would like to. Um, I probably would say it's made me much more aware of red flags and it's made me much more confident in my ability to walk away from red flags because I said it's okay. Yeah, mm. I see many, many stories and the person ignores red flags over and over and over and they stay and eventually it doesn't work out so well. Now I think to myself, when I see a red flag, I have the confidence to walk because I know how these stories end This is one of the things I like about reading the stories because you get to look at that. You get to sort of analyze and go, okay, what are all the things that went wrong there? And then everyone else in the comments is saying, yeah, I would have walked at point X when Mm. they said X. And it's really good to just 
rehearse that in your mind so that when it does actually happen to you, you know that it's okay to get away. And also you pick it coming because you've you've sort of practiced looking out for that stuff. Although I guess it could also make you super hypervigilant for, for bad signs. <laughs> yeah, this, this person looks like someone that's going to shit the bed. Look. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that is that is true. That is true. And I, I think my attitude to dating since I've been doing Bad Dates of Melbourne, it's become more, I suppose, pragmatic and logical, if that makes sense. Um, I probably am a little bit less romantic than what I used to be, but I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. And I think at the end of the day, um, if I do find a partner, it will be a better quality partner and a better fit um, if that makes sense, because I'm looking at it, at it from perspective that is like, you know, how will I get on with this person? Do we fit together? What are our values? As opposed to getting caught up in romance, which, you know, I spent all of my 20s doing that. So. That's what's, well, I spent most of my 20s just shagging the living daylights out of anyone <laughs> that came near me. But our 20s are for experimenting, Absolutely, right? absolutely. It sounds like you're sort of getting a bit more analytic and again, going over these stories over and over and seeing the things that happen, being able to sort of analyze those social situations is actually a really useful skill. Oh, it's, yeah. it's absolutely super useful. Um, I think probably more than anything, uh, running Bad Days of Melbourne has given me so much confidence, um, not just in my dating life, but all of my life. Because first of all, it's a project that's been successful and I, I love that feeling. I've made so many friends, I've met so many people, I've heard so many stories and essentially I feel like I have this amazing um, insider knowledge and bird's eye view of the entire dating culture in Melbourne and it is... Oh, unbelievable. I, I love it. I have heard so many stories. I know so many secrets. I know so many things. It just, it blows my mind and the, I, I love it. It's so much insight. The it's knowledge really you're exciting. holding in your head. I just want to unpack it and I want the list of <laughs> the top 50 things that you should, that, that cause a date to go wrong. But give me number two. So we've got maybe number one and number two. I think we worked out pooping the bed is definitely in there. What's, what's the next most common thing that uh, people will uh, complain about on bad dates? I'd probably say the forgotten wallet scenario is very common. Uh, where you'll go on a date, someone will order, you know, a lot of food, a lot of drink, and at the end of the date they'll go, oh, I've forgotten my wallet. Who knew? Forgotten my wallet. Who forgets their knew, wallet? We knew. They knew they have forgotten their wallet. So it's, it's a... It's a standard caper in the dating world that someone forgets their wallet. And it's not, it's men and women. It's, it's everybody who forgets their wallet. I wonder if there's a whole subculture of people grafting off, off people on dating websites. Oh, I'm really hungry. Oh, the budget's not looking great this week. I'm just going to go on a date with someone and conveniently forget my wallet. Well, I had a date submitted to me by a man who took a woman to coffee club, actually, and he bought her, um, her they ordered their food, they were eating their food, and as they were talking, she told him that she had gone out to dinner every, dinner or lunch every day that week for free. And that's what she was doing on online dating apps, just getting free food. Now, it was very uncomfortable for him because they were talking quite openly, but as the bill came, he was like, am I expected to pay for this? <laughs> and Whoa. he did. But, yeah, there are people that do that. To be honest, I do think it's a minority. It's small, but it does happen. It really shits me, though, because like anything else where people go out and act like assholes, 
it uh, it ruins it for everyone else. So all you need is for that to happen to you once or twice, even if it's a tiny percentage, the people you go on dates with, and then suddenly every time you meet someone, you're wondering whether you're going to be taken advantage of. And this goes for everything, for being stood up, having to pay for people's meals, having people insult you. Like every time something bad happens, um, we're less likely to try again. And it's, so it's really, it's not benefiting every, anyone at yes, all. Yes, absolutely. And that's what I love about Bad Dates of Melbourne you get to see and understand just how frequent disappointment is and it's not you it's everybody it's everyone. you haven't done anything wrong you are perfectly fine it happens to everybody this disappointment it's completely normal so just get back on the horse and keep going I think we intellectually understand that we have to meet a lot of people before we meet the right people, but emotionally we still somehow expect that we're going to magically just meet the right people straight off the bat. And then when we don't, we feel like it's our fault. Oh, absolutely. So that I is mean, very validating. That's what we're brought up to believe. Like when when I was growing up, you know, I thought Disney movies was the right. norm. I would meet some handsome hunk of spunk and we would, you know, fall in love on the first date and then I would be married when I was 24 and pop out a couple yes. of babies. And you'd have amazing sex, even if it was your first time. Oh, no sex in Disney movies, Georgie. Come oh, on. yeah, sorry. It's been a while since I've watched Disney. <laughs> so I don't know where I got my idea of how sex and romance happened. It wasn't Disney because all I was doing is shagging people. But it's still the same idea. It was like if I'm, if I'm good at sex and if I'm a worthy person, everyone I meet I'm going to have great sex with, everyone's going to like me, all that stuff. And as soon as that didn't happen, I felt like there was something wrong with me. Mm. So it's really good to hear when things don't go well for other people because when I hear other people talk about it I think yeah no you didn't deserve that or yeah I can see why that happened and it had nothing to do with you and you're not a bad person uh, whereas I don't always give myself the same benefit of the doubt we're yeah. much harsher on ourselves than we oh, are on other people absolutely and the stories on bad dates of Melbourne they are extremely relatable uh, and you know it's helped the site grow because people get in the comments and they tag their mates and they go this is you this is me this is us and that's how you know uh, the viral virality works so to speak and so there's a reason it it's relatable right because we've all been in really similar situations Absolutely. except the poop I haven't been in a poop situation yet fingers crossed fingers crossed I hope that does not happen <laughs> so like this might be a little bit of a like a personal question and feel free to opt out um, if you want but I wanted to ask is there anything that you used to do that you stopped doing after seeing that it was a problem for people in your stories like is there anything that people have talked about where you've gone oh yeah I used to do that or oh I'd better not ever do that again has it changed the way that you do dating it's made me significantly more open-minded uh, because I hear stories from, you know, all perspectives and I have, I don't judge anymore. I, I don't judge anymore. Uh, I don't think that there are good people and bad people. I just think that there are people of all sorts of shades. Um, there's no judgment when you write to me. I'm just here to listen. Um, and yeah, I honestly think the Bad Dates of Melbourne has made me a kinder, more patient person, which I know sounds mm. cheesy, but it, it genuinely has. The people who, who submit to me are um, doing me such an enormous favour and the community such an enormous favour by being so open about such personal issues. So um, I really appreciate when they're right to me. So, you know, the whole project and the whole um, Facebook page, um, it's full of generous people. So I really like that. And once you realize that everyone is out there doing their best, but often fucking it up, it's much easier to relax. Mm, absolutely. Um, once we hear all those stories that people are having a hard time and also that we're all out there just doing the wrong thing occasionally, that 
anyone can screw up, even if it's in a big way or a small way. It sort of lets us off the hook um, a bit, not to be assholes, but just to go, yeah, we've all had awkward situations, right? Like we can all relate to that stuff. Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, people are not always, but they're generally good, well-meaning people. So running Bad Dates of Melbourne has given me more faith in the human race, which is probably the opposite of what you would think. It's made me less negative. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's made me much more open-minded and I love that. Yeah, it definitely doesn't seem to have taken a dark turn, which it easily could because sometimes bad stuff happens. But it seems like most of the stuff you share is, is the things that uh, that we do without meaning to or that we do because we struggle with this stuff, uh, not so much because we're setting out to do anything awful to someone, but just because, you know, we're all like clueless in a way. You know? mm, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. And we, we all are clueless when it comes to online dating because it changes so rapidly. It's all dictated by technology. We are at the whim of an app. Our love lives are at the whim of an app. Um, you know, they Tinder uh, introduces new technology, like, for example, the Superlike. And it, you know, brings people together, pulls people apart. It's exceptional and it's all pushed by technology. So even compared to five years ago, two years ago, things are incredibly different. And the culture changes really fast too. Like I remember a time about three or four or five years ago where it wasn't stupidly uncool to post that picture of yourself with the drug tiger that you got taken in (laughs) Thailand. You know, I haven't done it, but you know, lots of kids were were posting pictures of themselves with drugged animals from third world countries thinking it was cool. And then now we've evolved and we know that that's really not on mate. Um, You know, and there's a whole, a whole host of examples around that stuff, stuff that we thought was cool to put up on Tinder back in the day and now we've evolved past that but it's it changes really fast oh absolutely Mm -hmm. absolutely Um, I also coach escort clients in how to see escorts and I have a really strong suspicion that the places where escort clients screw up when they go to see sex workers is probably similar to um, to the way that regular people screw up when they go out to get laid and I'm just trying to think of the classic number one example. What about turning up on time? I know we've already talked yeah. about it, but the turning up on time, totally. surely that's a big one. Well, the problem is, so like good sex is like, it's like flying a plane, right? How, how well you get into the air depends on your takeoff. If you have a wobbly takeoff, then once you're up there, it's not going to be great, right? And your takeoff is your basic stuff, like turning up on time, making a good impression in the first 30 seconds, like uh, having conversation with someone and making a connection so that by the time you're actually getting like sexy with someone, you've got all that groundwork to, to base everything off. If you don't do all that work first, I find once you get to the sexy stuff, it's all a bit wobbly and mm. weird. And I kind of feel like maybe um, regular dates are the same. Like you need to have that drink. You need to turn up on time, be polite and just present like a sort of regular functioning human being for a little while so people feel safe enough to actually start to get to know each other. Oh, absolutely. I think the reality is a dating scenario is a scenario in which people feel extremely nervous. They feel very nervous, and it's probably the same um, with the escort situation as well. People are very nervous. Super nervous. So Super nervous. nervous. Yeah. So, you know, um, they're probably not on their best game, to be honest. They're really not. And mm. people do weird things when they get anxious, right? Yeah, it's a real problem. Um, have you ever, like, uh, I know there are lots of stories on Bad Dates of Melbourne about people making um, really awkward exits and freakouts. Like, do you have a favourite story of a, uh, a freakout situation? 
a freak out situation. Oh, I don't know. It's about could... anxious date situation. An anxious situation. I'm putting you on the spot now. Oh, a really good question. Um, I don't think I can think of an anxious one. Can you think of an anxious one? Uh, and actually, no, I have been on a couple of dates where people have sort of like uh, bailed. And I think this was a story that you actually published on Bad Dates of Melbourne, Jumper Man, where um, this really good looking guy turned up to the restaurant, put his beautiful cashmere jumper down on the dining table, said, oh, I've just got to go move my car and then never came back. <laughs> and I don't know what happened, but I'm assuming that was an epic freak out. That possibly was an epic freak out. Now, it's funny you mentioned that story because I was submitted a second story on a very similar nature. You're kidding. From the other, not from this gentleman or, you know, who could have been this gentleman, but a woman who went on a date. So she, this is unpublished. So this is, you know, it's just for your podcast. Oh my God. She um, met a guy. He convinced her to go to uh, his house. She turns up and his brother and his girlfriend are there. So he says... Why don't we go out to, do, to lunch with my brother and his girlfriend? And she thought, this is a first date. Why would I want to meet Ooh, all of the family? Awkward. But she goes, whatever, okay. So they go out to lunch. They go to this restaurant. They're eating the food. She's feeling incredibly uncomfortable. And she's like, I did not sign up for this family date. This is too so much. She goes, oh, I've just realized I've parked at a one-hour spot. I'm going to go move the car. So she picks up a handbag. Goes out to move the car, gets in the car and just keeps driving. Goes off, goes shopping, goes has, has a great night, never sees him again. Wow. And I guess like I'm always a fan of being direct and honest, but it's hard enough to say, sorry, this isn't working out to one person and I will do it and I will leave. But having to say, sorry, this isn't working in front of an entire family and then the poor guy's sitting there and like, oh, and then when when that person has put you in that situation by not thinking through what might be appropriate anyway, yeah, like I can understand why that might be the right thing to do. And I guess this is another good point of maybe something to avoid when we were talking about, you know, not going ahead and choosing a restaurant or assuming what your date wants to do, making these assumptions about uh, what social situations your date might be comfortable in or not comfortable in. I'm a rabid introvert. I'm not very good with people. I'm fine with just two people talking. If it's three people, a little bit stressful. If it's a room full of people, I'm going to freak out. So I would never turn up to a first date that was a you know, a party or a barbecue, for example, but I've read stories on your page of people doing just that. Oh, yes, I've actually got one up my sleeve of a guy who was invited to a family pool party on a first date. So I, from memory, he shows up and the, the girl's entire family oh. is there. Surprise, surprise, surprise. So that's not only being confronted with the family, but also a huge social group of people you don't know. At the same time, I would have turned around and walked straight out. And you've got to wonder what's crossing people's minds at that point. Um, and it's, it's not even that they're party people that's the problem. It's just that lack of consideration for what other people might actually be comfortable with. That's Absolutely. like such a deal breaker. Absolutely. And I think from the other perspective, it's, it's an enthusiasm that they've met this person. They really like this person. They want to introduce this person to everybody. They want to put their foot on the accelerator in terms of this relationship. We're going zero to 100 and we are going straight into the family pool party meet and greet. And the thing is, I... I understand where they're coming from. They're enthusiastic. They mean well, but it's not okay. 
This is overcommitting, and and this is a thing, and and you know forced escalation, right? Um, and things like saying "I love you" on the first date, which also happens, right? This sort of like overcommitting or overenthusiasm. Mm. It's usually it's usually more like blurting something out on the first date, like "I want you to be my girlfriend" or "Let's get married," right? Yeah. It's not usually "Let's meet the whole family," but that clearly happens it, too. It's, ha- it's happens. It happens reasonably frequently. Wow. Reason- probably I'd get one of those maybe every two weeks or so. Oh my god. And what would you consider other forms of like uh, you know stuff one shouldn't blurt out on a first date? Oh, things someone shouldn't blurt out on a first date. Well, you know what? I don't think it's up for me up to me to make that call because it really depends on the two people totally, in the date, right? you know? I mean, I could tell you something like I love you, but I'm sure there are people who have met who they think is the one on their first date and that seems really natural and, you know, both parties would enjoy it. So, Well, you know, if you were saying it ironically because someone just bought you a bucket of fried chicken, for example. Well, fried chicken is delicious. So that would that be would totally total acceptable. Sense. Total sense. Totally, right? <laughs> I don't think that there are any hard and fast rules, but, you know, respect is just so important. So always... Always be respectful and always think, you know, how is the other person going to interpret this? Am I moving too fast? Is it appropriate? All of those things as well. It sort of feels to me like a lot of the stuff we've talked about is around instead of trying trying to just sort of uh, bang on ahead and assume what someone wants, actually taking the time to think about what they might want and then to ask them what they might want. Yep. I think that seems to be where most people fall down. Yep. It's just when we just assume that we fuck up. It's not that we... Uh, wanted to invite them to our party or that we wanted to shout I love you it's that we didn't stop to consider the other person first and maybe they'd love that shit but we need to stop and think about it absolutely look if I met the right guy and he invited me to a family pool party on the first date look if he was if I for some reason thought he was the right guy bring on that family pool party like I'll I'll get my bikini out but uh, most of the time it's not going to be okay so it's really about you know judging the person seeing what they want and all of that and the only way you know for sure is by actually asking. Absolutely. Which is why we come to back to that, hey, what does your perfect first date look like? Like, where would you like to hang out? Like, how long do you like to be? What sort of expectations do you have around this stuff? And then once you both know you're on the same page, not only are you not going to fuck it up, but also you've got a really good understanding of each other that maybe you didn't mm. before you started. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Cool, like good good learnings and not mm. just funny stories. No, no, <laughs> there is so much learning from Bad Dates of Melbourne, I think. Honestly, I think if you're dating in Melbourne, you really got to check it out because you will learn so much about the culture here. It's amazing. Have you heard from anyone that said that Bad Dates of Melbourne has helped them uh, like have better dates all the time? All of the time. I've had um, relationships form as a result of the page. I've had people go on dates. I've had people fall in love, get married, and one notable occasion. Uh, right? There have been there have been marriages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's um, unbelievable. It's unbelievable, and it it's. It shocks me how impactful a Facebook page can be on people. It, it actually shocks me. And I get, um, for lack of a better, better word, fan mail every day. And it still shocks me that these stories are so impactful on people. And I, I love it. I love it. I suspect not only you're doing a great service by sharing stories people can relate to, but also giving people a chance to really tune in to what goes on during dates and sort of have a think about how their own stuff fits into that and be analytical about it, like we said before, and think about, okay, how could I maybe do things differently? Or have I ever done this stuff? Like, how can I avoid that stuff? Like, the more we think about that in relation to ourselves, then the better we do. So thank you so much for making 
the dating world a better place. And I speak from me personally. Next time I get on Tinder, I know that you've, you're out there doing your best to help my partners do better. Hilarious. I love it. You know what it is? It's the sense of community on the Facebook page. So when you are dating, you can feel very alone, mm. especially when your uh, family, not family, but when your family friends are shacking up, they're getting the white picket fence, they're having children, they're settling down, they're getting Dude, married. And if you're just going around shagging people, and all your friends are in relationships, which is often my situation. I'm not interested in a relationship. I just want to bang people. But um, you can feel really isolated yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I'm not getting those stories out of my mates because they're all partnered up. Absolutely. And think of what the media says about single people. Like single people are constantly searching for a partner. Single people are unfulfilled. There's something missing. There's something missing. They're working towards a partner. And that's where the movie ends, right? The movie ends when you get married and you find the partner. Oh, that's not now. real life. That's not real life. And we need to embrace single life because single life is flipping amazing. Fucking it high five. High five me. Yes. <laughs> Ali, thank you so much for coming on. Um, I feel like we've got some really good stuff out today. I really appreciate you sharing your wisdom and I really appreciate what you're doing for Melbourne and for Australia now as well. Um, just helping us learn more about uh, dating and how to do it all without fucking it up too badly. Oh, Thank you. It is absolutely my pleasure. I hope that you've had fun chatting and yeah, uh, I love it. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. I hope it's been as good for you as it's been for us. As with all my encounters, I love hearing feedback. You can find me online at artofthehookup.com and that's also the place to go to learn more about my book project. Please share this podcast with anyone that you think would benefit from hearing this stuff. Spread the word as well as the love and let's make the world of hookups a better place.